The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC can be found online at overlandpark.cc. Welcome to OPCC. It's good to have those of you who are here in person and those of you joining online. Welcome to you. We're in Revelation chapter 2. Don't know if you noticed any of the changes when you came in, but the portico is gone and the steeple is gone. Huh? Oh, I thought you just like, really? I thought you didn't notice. <laughs> Leave it up to Sean. He didn't notice. Uh, uh, so anyway, finally getting some movement around this place, encouraging to see some movement on the outside. We've been laboring so hard, it seems, to get this uh, project moving and finally got some good stuff going. So we're excited about that. Welcome to those of you who are joining for the first time. We're glad you're here. And welcome there. We have some guests today that are from uh, before I was around, actually before even the church merger. Got to meet a family today that um, was here way back uh, when it was Stanley Bible Church and got to take them through the building and give them a tour. And they were kind of blown away uh, about all the changes. So that was encouraging. It's always good to know that we've made progress and hear it from somebody else's perspective. And so glad you guys uh, felt comfortable enough to come and... uh, visit what used to be home to you, so we're glad you're here today. So anyway, tolerance. Tolerance. Last week, we talked about, um, we talked about compromise, and um, this week, we're talking about tolerance. And tolerance is an interesting thing um, because uh, we live in a world that is really, um, in the last 20 years, like tolerance has been the buzzword. Like, you got to be tolerant. Of all lifestyles, you got to be tolerant of all peoples. Um, and so I was fortunate enough, uh, back in 1995, I was accepted to go to this leadership institute at Focus on the Family, which is an organization in Colorado Springs, was extremely, or uh, influ- still is an extremely um, influential ministry. But back in the day, um, Dr. James Dobson was uh, still leading the organization and got to experience some really cool things. But um, one of the things that they were training us as leaders, it was a very intimate setting. There was only 35 of us from across the country who was accepted into this um, leadership institute. And so we were, we were involved in a lot of the things, the events that were happening um, in the day, like uh, worldwide events, you know, things that were going on in China. They would have correspondence there on the ground, and we were having interactions with those people and many of the top thinkers and leaders of... Um, of the day would come through. Got to meet Chuck uh, Colson and was an incredible thinker, Christian apologist um, and thinker, and uh, many other influential leaders that we got to kind of rub shoulders with and be exposed to. And then they were preparing us. It was like graduate level courses. They were preparing us to be leaders within um, you know the public arena through ministry and and other walks of life. Many of the the graduates were doctors and and lawyers, and different things of that nature, and, and so it was really fascinating experience. But one of the things they talked about is they talked about where our world was heading, and based upon historically where we were, how quickly things were shifting uh, in the public square legally, and laws that, that were changing and being written on the books, and how that was going to shift the culture in America, and how things that seemed so foreign, foreign and impossible would be the norm. And you know, like living it out, like I've really, it it was like they were prophets. Like everything that they said um, would happen to our culture has happened. And we're just progressively 
just going down this, this really uh, steep slope of um, really what I would say for, I think, I think it's ruining the country. Like the country is, the country's facing some really um, disastrous times if there's not a spiritual awakening in America. Uh, morally, we are bankrupt. You look around and look at how people make decisions, and you'll see that, that society is just morally bankrupt. And what's fascinating is what we were taught about this whole idea of tolerance, um, that tolerance would be something that was pushed, and, and it is. And today, like, you're to be tolerant of everyone unless you have a biblical worldview that sort of constrains you to live out morally a set of values and principles that you're bound to, nobody wants to be tolerant of people who ascribe to that teaching. And so it's be tolerant, but don't be tolerant of everyone. And it's fascinating to look at how even in, from a religious, and, and, and again, what I'm talking about is from a leadership perspective, like where the, where the culture is and, and, and how influential it is, but all religions are pretty much tolerated but when you look at conservative Christianity, they're labeled as bigots. So there's intolerance there, and people can't see the hypocrisy of the statements that they're making. And so tolerance is a really a, a fascinating thing. The word um, that, we co that comes from our text today out of chapter 2 for tolerance is eao. And it means to allow, permit, let, to allow one to do as one wishes, but it also means to give up or to leave. And that's really what's happened because if you look at America, especially the heartland, you don't see people who um, really ascribe to many who are in leadership and inf influential positions. If we were to go to the Hollywood elite who are very influential, most of America doesn't agree with them, yet they are very intolerant of what most of middle America believes and, and ascribes to. And so why is that the case? We look at politics, and it's hard to find a leader that you go, yeah, there's somebody I can get behind right there. I can follow them. And why, why is that the case? It's because um, we have tolerated it. And the way we've tolerated it is we've given up and we've left. And so we don't have people who are out there, like, influencing at a grassroots level, what's happening in the community. And so we look at the schools and we get really frustrated with the schools and we go, why are the schools allowing these things to happen? It is because a school board is in place that's making certain decisions that's sort of setting the agenda. Well, why are they in place? Because we put them there. Well, why did we put them there? Because we didn't have an alternative. And so the question starts when you boil it right down, if you've got a passion for it, it's like, why haven't you run for school board? We've left, we've given up. And so some of you need to think about what your role is as a Christian in the public square. Like what, are, what is your engagement in society? And I don't mean like going off to Washington, and some of you it may be, but going just right down here to City Hall, having an impact, going to meetings, knowing what's going on. And so tolerance sometimes means leaving and giving up. And so tolerance is something that, it's kind of like compromise. It, it kind of has a good and it has a bad. If you tolerate bad behavior from a child you love long enough, you will get a brat that you can't hardly tolerate, right? And you're like, Ugh, 
So uh, you have to know, like, there's only so much you can tolerate, and then you have to lay down the law. And my kids know that about me and probably talk a little bit about that a little later in the sermon. But um, in the letter to the church of Pergamum, Jesus addressed compromise. And he said, look, you can't compromise on the things that are of the kingdom. Well, 40 miles away was the city of Thyatira, and it was the gateway to Pergamum. And Thyatira was an interesting city because the people who lived there went through a lot of turmoil because they were a city um, that sort of was in this region. You needed to control this city in order to hold power over the area. And so when you wanted to invade this particular and gain control of this particular geographical area, Thyatira had to be taken out. And so it was in a strategic position. And so this, what would happen is someone would want to come in and take over and they would destroy Thyatira. And then they would take over the region if they were successful or even if they weren't, um, Thyatira would be destroyed and then it would immediately be rebuilt because it had to be protected by the next person who gained control of it. And so it went through this cycle over and over of destruction and rebuilding and destruction and rebuilding. Well, Rome finally gains control of it and they enter into an extended period of peace. And so for a number of years, they have peace and they are established as a sort of a marketplace, a played for trade and people would travel through there. And so their economy started to get very robust and people would travel through like you were going somewhere. It wasn't like you could just go anywhere and get goods. Some people would hear that you're making a journey somewhere and you're going through Thyatira and they would be, hey, could you bring me back some of this linen, some of this? Um, they were really famous for a purple dye that they had invented and they would dye um, clothing purple. And so it was a very sought after uh, thing that they had. And so people would go there to conduct business and... Um, so it was known for these guilds. It had numerous guilds or unions, if you will. And in order to um, be a part of the economy, you had to be a part of one of these unions. They weren't like, it wasn't a city where you were so much oppressed like you were in uh, Pergamum if you didn't practice emperor worship or they weren't experiencing it from Jewish people persecution because they weren't practicing... Um, Judaism, or they believed Jesus was the Messiah. Those things certainly were present, but it wasn't as prominent. It was more about the guilds, is that if you didn't belong to a particular guild and um, pay homage to the God of that guild, then you couldn't find work. You couldn't do business. People didn't want to have anything to do with you. And, and so I, sometimes I read about these things. I was talking to somebody this week about it, and I'm kind of fascinated. You read that and goes, man, that's so wild that they would maintain control over that. Um, over over a, a culture and be that oppressive? How could they get there? When, and we think in terms of, of, America, of Americans and go, how could the, it be that problematic? But it's that way today. Like in Hollywood, if you don't do certain things, you can't be on the, the uh, A-list as an actor. As a matter of fact, there, I read an article recently about a pro-life movie that was released, and there's a particular guild that is trying to destroy its credibility and crush it because they're so pro-abortion and pro-choice that they're trying to destroy this movie. And so we see the same thing happening today in the world that we live in that was happening in Thyatira 
a couple of thousand years ago. And so Christians were living with this pressure to compromise so they could, they could take care of their families. They had to, they had to compromise or, or, or be tolerant of some things in order to be able to function in the society that they lived in and earn a living um, for uh, the provision of their family. And Christians faced this temptation uh, to go to these feasts. And so these guilds would have these feasts and they would... They would, they would have all, you know, they would have food and all kinds of things, and then they would have this worship experience of this, this deity, and they would have, like, there would be, like, sexual things happening at it. And so, like, that's why the Bible talks about so much about sexual immorality and, and compromising and being tolerant of things. You can't do these things. It's because their culture was so impacted by it, and Christians were to be the light of the world that calls people out of darkness. And so it's really, it's the same thing that's happening today, okay? So it could be written to us uh, today and be, be the same thing. And so the way the church in Thyatira was handling this caused Jesus some concern. And what they were doing is they were tolerating false teaching inside the church. And so there was false teaching happening inside the church, and they were allowing it to happen, which is the same thing that happens again today. We, we could go to many churches where teaching that is false. You say, what is false teaching? Teaching that doesn't line up with the Word of God. That's why we have such a high view of the Bible. It's not a high view of what our pastor thinks. It's not a high view of what some board thinks. It's not a high view of what a denomination thinks. Our view is a high view of the word of God. And that's really important because it is an objective standard of reality. It's outside of who we are. God has preserved it. He has given it to us. That's why it contains things about miracles to authenticate it, so we can trust it. And that's why it carries power. When we read it and apply it to our lives, we can see transformation and the miraculous hand of God at work in our lives when we begin to treat the Bible for what it is. And so it's not a charm. Like if, if a vampire comes at you, don't do this, okay? It does you no good. Somebody breaks in your house, you better be holding something else, but that's another sermon. <laughs> so uh, people asked me one time, I ran for office back in Oklahoma, and they say, what's your position uh, for gun control? And I say, a steady, firm grip. Uh, anyway. <laughs> okay, uh, let, me get, let me get back on track here. Uh, so, so they're living, and there's this compromise was going on, all right? And, uh, and, and they were tolerating it in the church. And so Jesus shows up on the island of Patmos and he gives this vision to John and John records it for us. And one of these letters is written to the church of Thyatira and he's dealing with this. So as we unpack this and read it, just know that's kind of the background. That's what was going on. And, um, and, and so like it's, a, it's applicable for all churches of every age. And he says this, to the angel of the church, and that angel would be the messenger, the pastor, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. 
Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. And by her teaching, she misleads servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. And so that's going to these places, teaching them it was okay. He says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Now, what does that mean? So committing adultery with her doesn't mean that they were having sex with her, okay? It means that they were committing adultery against God by participating in the false teaching that she was teaching. And so the Lord is sending a warning. If they don't repent, then suffering is happening. And he says, I will strike her children dead. So it doesn't mean that God is taking and knocking out little children. <laughs> That's not what it's teaching. So the children are the disciples, her disciples. They will be stricken dead. Well, what do you mean? Like they're walking along and they die. No, remember we learned a couple of weeks ago about the second death. These people will not make it through the second death which is we have the first death, which is a physical destruction. The second death is, a, um, is when we're eternally separated from God, and we'll get into that later in the book of Revelation. And so it, they will not escape the second death because they're ascribing to false teaching. And he says, um, and the reason he does this is he says, then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, this is encouraging, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. He said, you don't hold on to that false stuff. I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That, that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so there was a remnant of people, even within that city, that weren't they weren't, they weren't like tolerating that teaching. They would pull themselves away from it. And the Lord is recognizing them in the midst of it. But he's, he's issuing a warning to what's happening in that church. And so we learn a few things that I'll share with you very quickly that I think are encouraging and helpful to me in my walk and my pursuit of the Lord. Here's the first one. Um, Jesus relates and he judges. Like Jesus relates and he judges. The term son of God is used here, okay? If we back up to chapter 1, verse 13, when we started this um, series, the term that was used to describe Jesus was son of man. But here, it's son of God. And so son of man means all that a, a human was originally designed to be. So Jesus is the son of man in all of his per perfection. That's why Paul calls him the second Adam. The first Adam was perfect, but he fell. And the second Adam, Jesus comes and he's perfect. And he did not fall. He did not sin. And so he's the son of man. Now, we, now he's calling him in this, in this letter to this church, he's referred to as the son of God. This is the only time that the son of God is used in the book of Revelation. And so son of man refers to Christ 
as the sympathetic high priest. If you read the book of Hebrews, you'll find that we don't have a high priest um, that has not been tempted, but in all points, he's made like us and he was tempted as we are. So he is sympathetic toward the struggle that we have in temptation. He is sympathetic toward the struggle that we have towards sin because he understands what the struggle is like. The difference between him and us is he was perfect and he did not sin and we have been marred by sin. So Jesus was, um, he was, he was fully man and he was fully God. And so he can relate to us. So when you're struggling with a sin in your life and you're like, man, I'm trying to overcome this, you can talk to Jesus about it. And as you talk to Jesus about it, he knows what you're talking about. And he knows how to help you overcome that temptation. And he will enable you in the midst of it to gain victory over this particular thing that you may be struggling with. And so it's a beautiful picture of Jesus, the God-man, as our high priest, understanding how to relate to us, walking with us. When you go through an experience of death and someone in your, your family dies and you mourn and you grieve, Jesus mourned and grieved as a human. And so in all points, he was like us. He has experienced humanity. He was fully God and he was fully man. And so he can relate to us. But as son of God, he is not pictured as sympathetic, but as a judge. And his eyes are described like blazing fire. He sees all. That's why John depicts him as his eyes as blazing fire. He can see all uh, that has happened around you, through you, in you. He knows everything that is going on with you. Nothing escapes his notice. He knows everything that you're thinking right now. He knows those of you whose stomach just grabbed. He knows. He knows everything you were thinking yesterday. He knows everything you thought 25 years ago. He knows everything that people were thinking in 1925, 1875, back in the 1500s. He knows all. He knows everything. He sees all, and he sees it perfectly, and he retains it. That's why he's described as the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He is, he was, and he is to come. He always will be. He is the same Jesus to the people in the 1400s as he is to us today. He never changes, and he knows all. And so he knows what our struggle is, and he knows what's going on, but he is a judge, and he is able to make right judgments because he sees all. And things may look good to everyone else, but he sees the real picture. You may have walked in today and everybody uh, that you interacted with today, you've kind of got a face on and, and you seem happy. You've got a happy face on. You seem like you are a pretty stable person, but in the inside, you just want to give up right now. You didn't even really want to come to church today. And you're here and you find yourself playing this, this part and you're wondering and you're, you feel hopeless. He knows that about you. He knows exactly what, so I may not know that about you. I may think you're fine. As a matter of fact, how many people that do you know of that have taken their lives and you go, geez, I just talked to the guy last week and he seemed fine, right? It's because we don't know all, but Jesus knows all. He knows everything. And so as he makes these judgments, he's able to make these judgments in a just way. And then it describes his feet like burnished bronze. What's that about? Well, that's another picture of his judgment. So the metaphor of uh, the wine press is carried throughout the book of Revelation. It's carried throughout the gospels. Jesus talked about it often. 
And so the making of wine, there is a crushing experience of it. And so that what they would do is that the way they made wine in the ancient world is people would literally walk on the grapes and crush them. And so as feet of bronze, he's pictured as one who can bring in that harvest and he experiences um, in that judgment, we experience or see a picture of wrath. He said, I don't know if I like this sermon. Well, it's in there. (laughs) So like Revelation 19.15, this is what it says about Jesus. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty with feet of bronze. He treads that. And so he relates, but he judges. And his feet as bronze depicts his purity and holiness as he tramples out impurity. What does that mean? Jesus is jumping on people. No. What it means is that the Lord meant he would not that anyone could perish. And he had so much compassion and so much love for us that he came and he died a cruel death in order to save us from this crushing experience of the wrath of God. Okay? So we, like... You know the popular sayings, Jesus is my homeboy. Yeah. This Jesus looks a lot like a gangster right here, right? And so, like, we need to have a proper view of Jesus. And we need to look and go, man, Jesus relates to me, and he does. And you can't know him if you don't know that he relates to you, that he knows you well. But you also need to know that he judges. And so sometimes people ask me, man, I struggle as a parent. What's, what's the secret to parenting, okay? I'm going to write this down. I'm going to give you the secret to being an incredible parent. You ready? Treat your children the same way Jesus treats you, and you will be a great parent. And sometimes I relate to them, and sometimes I cast judgment. I relate to them. I have fun. When they were little guys, I would bounce them on my knee. I would play with them. I'd roll around on the floor. I'd want to go outside and do things, and I would make them laugh. I still make them laugh. I still do all these things, and I relate to them. But there will come a time where I will judge you and light your hiney up and show you who's boss. Right? Amen, he said. Now, I haven't, I haven't done that in years with my kids because I did it early. And they know I treat them the way Jesus treats me. Man, Jesus will relate to me. He will walk with me. He, he talks with me. He pours out blessing on me. He's like, he's loving me. But when I step out into sin and I know that I've, I've done something I shouldn't do, whether it's I've let a word come out of my mouth in anger or just simply maybe I should have done something that I didn't do and I get convicted about it, man, and he will cast judgment on that experience. Well, I like that because it helps me walk with him. It helps me to keep myself in check. He just doesn't let me go out there rogue and say, man, Jimmy, do whatever you want to do. I got it. I did. I got, I paid for it on the cross. You go live however you want. You're good to go. That's false teaching. That's not, that's not in the word. That's part of the problem that what was happening on this, uh, in this church is that, that w- they needed to see Jesus as uh, a, a relatable God, but also as a judging God. And so it's healthy for us to understand that about the Lord because it helps us to walk in obedience. So that's the first takeaway. Here's the second way. 
Don't expect sinners to act like saints or allow saints to act like sinners. What are you talking about, bro? What do you mean there? One of the most quoted verses among God's people used to be John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what the, the most quoted verse used to be among God's people. You know what it is now? Judge not lest you be judged. Most quoted verse. Now, some of you are going, geez, I think I've quoted that before. What is going on here? Um, Matthew 7, 1 is the verse, do not judge or you too will be judged. Don't judge. However, when it comes to this situation in this church we have in Thyatira, there is a problem because the church is being chastised for toleration of sin inside the church. And so we can't say judge not lest, lest you be judged because Jesus in this vision to John is specifically calling out them allowing this woman whom he identifies as Jezebel, which is the most wicked woman in the Old Testament, um, and he identifies this woman as a Jezebel who is leading people astray and saying, you guys are letting it go on. You need to make a judgment on that. So the question is to judge or not to judge? And the answer is both. The answer is both. Let me show you a picture of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 through 13. The, the church at Corinth was having some problems. They had a guy in the church who was just, man, he was just running wild. Said he knew Jesus, said he loved Jesus, but he was sexually immoral and engaging in behavior he shouldn't have been. And so Paul writes to the church and how to deal with it. And this is what he says. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all, listen to this, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. But now I'm writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. Do not even eat with such people. What business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. What's he saying? He's saying when you got somebody inside the church that is saying they love Jesus and they have given their life to Jesus and they are indwelt with the Holy Spirit and they're living like the devil and they care nothing about Jesus, but they still claim that they know him, don't associate with that person. You find a prostitute out on the street who's lost as a goose, man, go have dinner with that person. Love that person. Spend time with that person. They are outside the church. But this person on the inside of the church who's claiming they've been covered by the grace of God and been transformed by his spirit, and they don't look like anything different and no power is coming out of, them li or out of their lives, disassociate yourself with, from them. That's what the word is teaching. And they wouldn't do it. They were just allowing it to happen. And they allowed and tolerated not only for it to happen, but for the teaching to be a real part of what was happening in the church. This church was guilty of allowing people to practice sin. Um, this woman was teaching, this woman that is identified as Jezebel, 
was teaching that if you really wanted, like, so, so they had this problem with the guilds, like they couldn't get work. And so they were coming to a place of trying to figure out how to justify being there. And she developed a teaching that if you, if you really wanted to experience the deep grace of God, you need to walk in a greater amount of sin so that you can be forgiven a greater amount and you will understand grace at a greater capacity. That's what she was teaching. It's sort of like a person who says, well, it doesn't matter what I do, I'm covered by the blood of Christ. In one sense, that's true. But in another sense, you have no idea what you're saying and how, how like, destructive that rhetoric is. You, we are covered, like there's nothing we can do for our sins but rely on the Lord to forgive us and cleanse us from our sins, but we can't walk with an attitude that, hey, man, I can go walk straight headlong into sin willingly. It's okay for me to compromise because I know I'm covered by the blood of Christ and, and, and he will forgive me. And so I'm just gonna walk into the sin knowingly and I'm gonna walk into it and be okay with it, okay? So it's kind of like, well, I know I've got this area over here in my life that the Lord has convicted me of. But I think what I'll do is I'm going to get real heavy over here on the Bible study and the church attendance and the giving. And then, like, the Lord knows. Yeah, he knows. He knows you're trying to, like, get work the system. And he's saying it won't work because your heart's not in it. And he's saying, Lynn, this won't work out. You can't walk and live that way. You've got to walk in obedience to the Lord. And so, like, that's what they were doing. And, and, and um, and we learn that you reap what you sow. And that was verse 23. It says that her children will not escape the second death. And so there's not a real transformation that happens in their heart. And so what we learn the last takeaway. So don't expect, here's what I mean by that. In, in the kind of people we want to be, we want to be the kind of people, not it's going around and going, did you see, what, do you know what they're doing? You don't, no, that's not what we're doing. We want to be the kind of people that, Whenever we're walking with a brother and they say something and we, we can hear their compromising in their life and we know that they're, they're, they belong to Christ, that we don't just ignore it. We speak truth into it. We don't tell them what they want to hear. We tell them what they need to hear. Listen, you are a believer, bro, and you're compromising in this area of your life and you're walking in sin and you need to know that. You are ready. And you know what they say? Like, I've never said that to anybody and say, how dare you tell me I'm walking in sin? They'd be like, I know, bro. The Lord's been wearing me out over it. Will you pray with me about that? See, we're afraid. The devil, man, he likes the deep secrets of Satan. Man, he's so wise because what he does is he gets us to talk about somebody when they're not around. And then later they find out that we were talking about them. And then they say, I'm never going back to that church because those people are hypocrites, they're judgmental. And so Jesus is not giving us permission to make judgment on people without relationship. He's saying the people you're in relationship with, you ought to be walking with them and don't be afraid to tell them the truth when they need to hear the truth. That's what family does. And so that's what we got to walk in. We don't walk in, we don't walk in making judgments about people we don't know, but the people that we do know and we're in spiritual family with, we're honest with them and they can be honest with us and we help each other grow in the Lord and we call each other out when we're walking in disobedience so that we can repent 
and believe and move past this experience that is keeping us in bondage. And so like, that's one thing about the judgment. The other thing is we need to be the kind of people that when you see somebody on the news and you go, man, there, there's a, a person there that, 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 you know, the sexual like prostitution is going on down in Kansas City. And we look at them and, and we go, oh, how could they? How could, how could a girl do that to her body? How could a man go out and pay for that? What kind of people are these? we don't know what kind of people they are. And so we see when we shouldn't look at them and go, what a, a travesty to our culture that these people exist. We should look at them and go, that is somebody's little girl and they're lost and they're broken. And I wonder how I might be broken and burdened for them. I wonder how I might minister to them right now. Is it possible that I might love them instead of looking away when I drive by and telling my kids, don't look at that, don't look at that, don't look at that. It's not going to disappear. Your, your kids are going to grow up in a world filled with sin. And they need, to be, they need to recognize that, hey, man, we have compassion. Maybe instead of looking away, we just look and smile. That's what Jesus would do. He would, he would interact with people. And so it's important that when we talk about this judge not lest you, lest you be judged, we're talking about making judgments about people outside of the kingdom. People inside of the kingdom are judged all the time by each other. They should be. <laughs> There's a certain extent to where I'm judging right now by preaching the truth to you. The Holy Spirit judges all the time. So I preach the truth. Man, the truth comes out. It hits you in the heart. And you guys say sometimes, man, I, were you reading my, my, my mail or something, bro? You're, you're hitting me right between the eyes. No, I'm not. I'm just teaching truth, and the Spirit is convicting. And so judgment is always taking place, and that's good for us because it helps us walk with the Lord. And he wants us to overcome sin, not just to be in the midst of it. And so we are always, um, are always looking at how, and, and again, so you go, well, wait a minute, like, what do I do, like, if I, if I, like, I, I sin, like, what do I do? Well, one, you should confess your sin. As soon as you're made aware of a sin, you should confess of it, and the Lord will show you, man, the Holy Spirit, that's his role, is to, is to convict the world of sin, okay? So you confess, and the, the other thing is to understand that there is a practice of sin. There is a lifestyle of sin. There is a rebellious um, thing that you enter into. And that, that, I think, is this teaching that was going on in this church is that, there, there was so, that God's grace was so extensive that it didn't matter what you did after you were saved because you were covered. And so people were trying to live in a lifestyle of sin and that wasn't okay. And so that's what we're talking about is like when you, when you, you should confess all sin, but you should not be trying to live a lifestyle of sin and saying, I am a follower of Jesus. Followers of Jesus do not live lifestyles of sin. They flee from it and, and they recognize it. And when it gets on them, it makes them comfortable. And they're like, why is this on me? Why did I do that? I don't, I don't like my attitude. And why don't I like it anymore? Because Jesus is in you. And he wants that out of you. And so they confess. They try to gain victory and overcome it. And then they look at other people who are on the outside of the kingdom and they don't go look at how rotten those people are. They go, man, I used to not know the truth and I could be me in that situation right now. And we have empathy for people who are outside of the kingdom and we want to see them come into the kingdom. And then we don't just allow our brothers and sisters in Christ to have a free 
license to live however they want and not us not saying anything about it. Amen? Amen. I got to get this sermon over. It's heavy. <laughs> it's true, though. All right? Last point. Christ encourages and rewards spiritual development. Verse 19, he says, I love this. It's kind of the theme. Me and, me and Shay kind of have an inside joke, and you're, you're here, bro, sweet bro. He says, I know your deeds. I know, man. Uh, he says, I know, I know your deeds. I know your love and faith, your service and perseverance. And he says, and that you are, and, and, and see, I lost my, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. He's like, I can see you growing. And I appreciate that. And Christ, like, so like when you look at this and you go, geez, man, like Jimmy seems like he's far away. Shay seems like he's grown so much. I'm never going to get there. The Lord doesn't want you to measure yourself by the pastor of the church or the associate pastor. He wants you to measure yourself by himself. That's it. And he knows where you started, where you are, and where you're going to end up. And he sees the growth. He sees your movement toward him. And that's encouraging to me that he recognizes that and he knows. And so we're all on this journey. We're at different, we're just at different starting points. And that's okay. And the kingdom functions that we can all kind of grow and help each other in the midst of that. And he warns and he commends those who aren't buying this. And he says, hold on, keep growing, and I will reward you with authority, rule, responsibility, and ultimately eternal life. And this is why, as a body of believers, we are committed to discipleship. It's because Here's the deal, man, is it's been too easy in the modern-day church to come and sit in the church and never walk close enough with anybody that they could help you and you could help them walk through sin that happens in your life. But in discipleship, you can't do that. And that's why Jesus said, go make disciples. Don't go make big churches. He said, go make disciples that make disciples. And what does that mean? Go make somebody who knows how to hear from me, listen to the Spirit, convict them, read the Word, apply it to their lives, repent, and walk out obedience. Because it's going to happen to you over and over. And the more you can recognize it, the more victory and the more power and the more authority I can pour out in your life. And I will help you as you help someone else understand that. And they help someone else. And that's why we're here today. Is because the disciples started doing that very thing. And they helped one another walk through um, this experience of transformation that is not just a one-stop shop. It is a city that we live in where transformation never stops happening. And so understanding that Christ relates and judges is what we're saying is, he says that Moses came to you with the law, but, but Jesus came with grace and truth. And so we're always walking this balancing act of applying grace and truth to our lives. And we can't be um, satisfied living within a ministry context where all we know about is grace, and we never do hear the truth. It's grace and truth, just like in parenting. It's grace and truth. One of the most rewarding and parenting experiences I've had is um, because I did teach my kids about judgment at an early age, and one of the most rewarding experiences I've had as a parent, I don't even remember what it was. I'm sure one of them will remember, but they did something they shouldn't have done and I felt like I felt the Lord leading me in it. And I said to them, listen, um, what you've done is wrong. 
And what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna offer to you what the Lord offers to, to me all the time, and I'm gonna give you grace in this moment. And I forgive you, and just walk through it, talk to the Lord about it. And so it was just a powerful thing. So how did I know that that moment called for grace and not truth? It, it called for a moment of them, because I'm walking with the Lord, and I know how he's treating me. And I know I can recognize that he oftentimes will treat me and give grace in a situation, and sometimes it's truth, and I can handle that truth, and it hits me, and, and I know what the consequences are of it. And so what, as I walk through life as a dad, I've just all of my kids' journey, that's all I've tried to do, is it's not, hey, we're going to do this family devotional, we're going to do all these things. No, I'm going to treat you the way Jesus treats me. And I think they've developed a relationship with the Lord, and um, sometimes they still need a lot more truth than they do grace, but hey, it is what it is, and they're growing into fine human beings. And so it, it enables us to be with, with uh, it enables us to be disciples and walk with Jesus. This is what we're talking about. We walk with Jesus as Lord and Savior. We don't just walk with Jesus as Savior. He's Lord and Savior. He saves us from our sins, and he's Lord of our lives. And as we walk that out, man, the beauty is, is we begin to see the movement of God happening, and we don't remain stagnant, and the kingdom just starts advancing. Here's the big idea, and I'm going to ask Sean to come, and we'll prepare to receive communion. Be in the world and not of it. Like, live in the world, but don't be of the world. Get out there and, and build relationships. Be in the world, but not of it. Understand that something special has happened in your life to transform you. And here's, here's what I want you to hear also. I think this is really important. It's okay to be intolerant of things as long as you're balancing it with grace and truth. It's okay to be intolerant. There's some things you just need to be, we need to be intolerant of. And, you know, like we need to recognize, we say, well, we're the church and that's the uh, government affairs. And so, hey, like, just like the church is financed by your tithes and offerings, the government is financed by your taxes. And so you got a right to speak into things that you don't believe in. And if you don't, if you don't speak up, You've just tolerated it because remember the word means leave and let it go. And so that's, that's tolerating. And that's one of the reasons why our country is in such a mess. You take a really sweet child that's full of life and you tolerate bad behavior long enough and you get a brat. And you take a really incredible country loaded with freedom and good people and you tolerate bad behavior long enough, and you get a brat for a nation. And that's what we have right now. And so the only way to correct it is to do the hard word work of parenting. And I think America needs a spanking. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to receive communion, and uh, as we do, there should be a cup there in the seat in front of you. But just take a little time to kind of get your heart right with the Lord. Talk to him about what he's talked to you about. And Sean will lead us in a verse here, and this will be self-directed. I'm going to pray over it. Um, and, and you just 
you partake at any time during the song that you feel led. I will tell those of you who are first-timers, make sure you're really careful and open the cellophane with the bread in it before you open the cup part, or you will never get that bread out, all right? Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word today. It's honest. It's true. It's challenging to us, Lord, and so we pray that you would help us to be people who to respond in obedience to what we've heard. And we realize, Lord, it's, it's a good deal that you, you cast judgment and, on sin in our lives. And, and, it, and Lord, we thank you for your grace. And we pray that you would help us to walk those two things out in our lives, first and foremost, in our relationship with you, and then our relationship with our family, in our relationship with our spiritual family, the people we're doing life with, and give us a love for the people in the world who don't know this truth yet, that we might take the good news to them and love them the way that you love them. We thank you for this, this time to receive this communion. Help us to reflect and remember who you are and what you've done. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at overlandpark.cc.